0: How would you feel being tasked with rebuking a king? And not just any king, but someone who was like, famous and someone who was well-known and revered by, by his people. Yeah, that'd be tough. <laughs> but But this was the charge of Nathan the prophet. You see, the king of Israel was in need of some correction, and Nathan was instructed to go and correct him. Now, when the prophet arrived at this palace, I'm sure he was terrified, thinking of, of all the different ways that he could say what he needed to say. And I think Nathan was also assessing all of the different ways that the king could respond to what he had to say. It's, it's a dangerous business correcting a king. And so when a loud audience with the king, Nathan said, Sir, I need to tell you a story. <laughs> this this is the story he told him. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich, one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man, he owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. And he raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It, it ate from the man's own plate and it drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. And one day a guest arrived at the house of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or his herd in in order to feed this guest, he, he took the poor man's lamb and he killed it and he prepared it for his guest. Now, when the King heard this, he became furious and he decreed as surely as the Lord lives, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one that he stole And for having no pity. And then Nathan replied to the king and he said, My lord, that's you. You're you're this man. And through this parable, Nathan was able to deliver a painful truth that mitigated a harsh confrontation. Hey, welcome to Pickled Parables. My name is Jesse. And this podcast is presented by Parable Ministries. Currently, we're in our introduction series where we're trying to present some uh, introductory lessons that present our values and give a foundation for something that we can build off of in the future. Today's episode is about parables. We're trying to look at what they are, how they were used, and who typically used them, <laughs> I guess. So as we just heard, Nathan, the the prophet, he used a parable to correct the famous King David. So let's take a look now at what makes a story be a parable and how they were often used in the Bible. context for Nathan's parable for King David is that David stole another man's wife. Then he impregnated her and then he killed her husband. It's, it's a tragic failure, not just in light of biblical morals, but for the king of a nation. I mean, the, the sins of a king are reflected in the culture. People often have this, this desire to look up to their leaders and depend on them. So people will be inspired by a leader's example, whether the example is good or poor. What made this even harder was that King David was known as a friend of God. He loved God's law. But after a moment like this, questions would be raised and brought up like, well, what what does a friend of God actually look like? Is that what a friend of God looks like? And so Nathan had a a tall order set before him. He, He had to point out David's sin and offer correction to his failure. But, but how would you go about pointing out a very powerful person's failure? Nathan chose to use parable. It was a, a short fictional story that was relatable to its audience. David thought it was real. He was ready to enact action against this person, this like legal action against this rich man. It's also helpful to remember that David had grown up as a shepherd boy. And so this story involving little lambs would have struck a chord in a unique way for him. But through this parable, Nathan was able to present a hard truth to David by simply letting him realize it. And that's just one example of how parables were used in the Bible. Parables keep their structure. They're short, they're, they're fictional, and they're relatable to the audience and the purpose is to communicate a specific thought, but their, their application, it, it can vary. This form of communication is, is kind of indirect. I was, I was trying to think about it and the best comparison I could think of is like sarcasm or maybe a joke. It's, it's kind of similar to sarcasm in that sarcasm communicates something different than what the words would indicate, right? But in parables use stories to communicate a thought that's not necessarily addressed in the story. So that's, that's kind of how they're similar. In, in the Old Testament, parables were used a lot in prophecy. Sometimes a prophet would use a parable to communicate God's feelings toward a certain matter. Here I, here's an example from the, the prophet Isaiah. This is, this is what he says. This is from Isaiah chapter five. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land. He, he cleared it of stones and he planted it with the best vines. And in the middle, he built a watchtower and carved a wine press in the, in the nearby rocks. And then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes, but the grapes that grew were bitter And then God said to the prophet, keep like continuing the story. This is what God said. And I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be devoured. I will break down its wall and it will become trampled down. I will make it a waste. It will not be pruned or hoed in the briars and thorns. It's going to grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. So this parable is being used kind of like, kind of like an an illustration. God's pronouncing judgment on this uh, vineyard. This parable was a warning. Those who heard it or read it could clearly understand what was being said, even though it was just being told through a story. So parables—they're very versatile in their use. Nathan was able to use it to correct a king and Isaiah used it to warn a nation about a coming judgment. Now, when we come to the New Testament, we find parables are being used in yet other ways. Primarily, we find parables in the New Testament being used as a teaching tool. Jesus of Nazareth was well known as a teacher, and he was especially known for using parables. His parables, Jesus' parables, are, they're, they're told even today because they're they were short, they were really simple, but most importantly, they were memorable. I mean, if you think of some of the more known parables that Jesus told, like the, uh, the, the parable of the mustard seed, the, the prodigal son, the parable of the lost coin, right? The, the stories, they all had something to do with land or money or finding something or farming. And, and all of these things were relatable and easily understandable by Jesus's audience. Now, the reason that Jesus's parables were memorable is because even though their premise was simple, their meaning had deep significance. Understanding Jesus's parables was kind of like a a practice in meditation. You had to contemplate it. You had to think through it like like thoroughly. (laughs) An example of this is the, the parable of a of, of the farmer. This is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. <clears throat> Jesus also said, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. But the farmer, he doesn't understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a, a, a leaf blade pushes through. Then the heads of the wheat are formed, and finally, the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. Now, <laughs> if you heard Jesus tell this story, put yourself in, in the audience's shoes for a minute. You might be tempted to, to say something like, well, well, good, good, Jesus, that's great. You know, you, you, you just... you." you summed up farming is <laughs> pretty basic. Jesus just told a parable, a parable about a, a farmer farming. So what's, what's the point of that story? What, what's, what's the, like what, what's supposed to be communicated through that story? Well, first we need to understand that to Jesus's audience, the kingdom of God was a very important subject The the, the people of Israel had been living under oppression for centuries. This, this people's nation had been ravaged by countless kings. Well, actually, you can count them. At first, the northern portion of their kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians, and that was in 732 BC. Then the Babylonians conquered their southern portion in 597 BC, and then the Medo-Persian Empire replaced both the Assyrians and the Babylonians. They took north and the south. Then they were replaced by the Greeks, and now, at this time, when Jesus was talking, it was under the control of Rome. So not only had they been conquered by one nation, but they had been conquered by several. And sadly, at this point, the nation of Israel it had been reduced to a puppet state. And that was difficult. That was like kind of hard for the people to live with. They were supposed to be more than that. They were supposed to be a, a royal priesthood, an, an independent nation of ambassadors that represented God through their culture and their lifestyle. But just as I, I, Isaiah, the, the prophet Isaiah, just as he had warned through his parable, God had released the nation of Israel into the consequences of their actions. They, they had stopped representing God. And they replaced him with other things. During the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem, their king, his name was, uh, the the Babylonian king, his name was Nebuchadnezzar. He fulfilled God's warning in the historical book of 2 Kings, chapter 25. I'll I'll read it. And Nebuchadnezzar burned down the house of the Lord, the, the temple, and the king's house. And all the houses of Jerusalem, every great house he burned down, and all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard, they broke down the walls around Jerusalem. It's just like how God said in Isaiah. This, this is Isaiah chapter 5 again. Now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. It will be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. R- rather than submitting themselves under God's authority, that the people of Israel had, had kind of walked away from his protection, and God allowed the destruction of Jerusalem, his vineyard. The, the, the rest of Second Kings says this, not the whole book, just this passage. And the rest of the people who were left in the city of Jerusalem, and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon, together with the rest of the multitude. Nebuchadnezzar, oh, nope. Nebuchadnezzar, Dan, good grief, ne, the captain of the guard, he carried them into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest in the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. How interesting is that? Israel went into exile for 70 years in Babylon, their kingdom was gone. They had lost their land. They had lost their cities. They had lost their birthrights. This was a low, low moment for the people of Israel. However, when they were in exile in Babylon, a a, a promise of a new kingdom came. During the Babylonian exile, there came a prophecy from a Jew who could interpret dreams. His name was Daniel. Now, Daniel served the king of Babylon, the, the same one who de- demolished Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar, not the other one, not Nebuchadnezzar Dan. Nebuchadnezzar kept having all these, these crazy dreams. And so the king called Daniel and he asked him to interpret his dreams. Okay. So honestly, there's a lot more to that story than just what I summed up. But for the purpose of what we're talking about right now, this is this is how it's working. So The king called Daniel. Daniel came to him and, and the king asked him to interpret his dreams without actually telling Daniel what his dreams were. So this is what Daniel said. The first dream was about a statue that was made out of different materials. Kind of weird. Daniel uh, said that the, the, the statue, the the materials in the statue represented different kingdoms that would come after Babylon. Turned out to be a prophecy. And Daniel was right. He predicted the rise of the the Medo-Persian Empire, Alexander the Great, uh, and the Greek conquest, kind of of the, the old world, and also the iron rule of Rome. But here's a portion near the end of Daniel's interpretation. I'll read it. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom, this kingdom, be left to another people. This kingdom will break in pieces all these other kingdoms and bring them to an end. It will stand forever. Daniel foretold of a kingdom that would be established by God, a kingdom that would never end. And this was the hope of the Israelites. In in the second dream, Daniel that Daniel interpreted for King Nebuchadnezzar. The, the king of Babylon was compared to a tree, which is interesting. This is how Nebuchadnezzar explained it because he had, gained, he had be- begun to trust Daniel. So we started telling him his dreams. <laughs> this is what he said. The, the visions of my head as I lay in bed were, were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and it became strong and its top reached to heaven. It was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field, they found shade under it. The birds of the heavens, they lived in its branches and all flesh, all people, all things were fed from it. However, in his dream, immediately after explaining this, he said that the tree was chopped up And that the stump was kind of clamped, like like girded up, clamped up with an iron and bronze band. Now, Daniel explained that this tree represented the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And it showed his downfall. Now, let's go back to Jesus' parable with the perspective of God replacing Babylon and other future kingdoms with a never-ending kingdom, a, a, a new kingdom established by God. So Jesus told a parable about how the kingdom of God is like a farmer <laughs> uh, farming. The farmer didn't know how the plants grew. They just kind of grew, and that was true at the time. And, and when they were ready, when the plants were ready, he would, he would harvest them, the plants, when the crops, excuse me, when the crops were ready, he would harvest them. And so right after this, in, in the Gospel of Mark, he, he told another parable about a mustard seed. Again, this is Mark chapter 4. Jesus said, how, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What, what story should I use to illustrate it? Hmm. It's like a mustard seed. Planted in the ground. It, it's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It it grows long branches, and the birds can make nests in its shade. Hmm. Now, for the Israelite who grew up reading books like Daniel, they would have noticed the similarities between this parable and the king of Babylon's dream about a tree. Both trees were big both provided shade for animals and both allowed birds to make nests in their branches. So if you were listening to this, you would start thinking, wait, great. I mean, it sounds like Jesus has been reading Daniel recently. Good for him. That's great. <laughs> but but then if you start thinking more, you, you know, Jesus Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a like a farmer waiting for the harvest. And then he started talking about a tree, like, like King Nebuchadnezzar's tree. You know, that's interesting. Is, is Jesus saying that the, the kingdom of God is is, is is about to be harvested? Like, like harvest time is, oh, is, is coming near? Like, is it ready to be revealed? Is, is Jesus saying that there's going to be a new tree to replace King Nebuchadnezzar's tree, like a, like a new king for this new kingdom? And, and how does Jesus know about this? Is Jesus somehow related to the coming of the kingdom of God? Who, who is this guy? Who, who's Jesus, and what role does he have in the kingdom of God? And that's how Jesus used parables. Parables. Jesus' parables were meant to capture the imagination and then cause deep contemplation. He would use super simple stories to express deep thoughts. Jesus would use parables to teach and to tease. He would teach about God's morals and his values, and he would tease revelations about the kingdom of God and his own personal identity after after one of Jesus's parables, his disciples came up to him and, and they asked him, They're like, Why you why are you playing coy? Like, like why what what's with all this shady talk? Like why why are you using metaphors and, and stuff like this? Why all the parables? Again, this is in Mark chapter four, the the same place. And when Jesus was alone, those around him with the twelve, the twelve disciples, they asked him about the parables. And Jesus said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand. Otherwise, they should turn and be forgiven. What Jesus is saying was that those who were actually interested in what he taught, like the people who were coming up and asking him about it, they would be able to receive the understanding of the lessons. But for those who were there, just who were there for the stories, they would only get a good story. So Jesus used parables to reach out to those who were actually interested in his message. Not only did Jesus use parables as a teaching tool, (laughs) he used it as a method to find the right audience. So Jesus would teach to anyone, but not everyone would choose to learn what he taught. And that's why Jesus's parables are so special because they're so rich. They, they the, and they lead us to an understanding of eternal life. They bring people to Jesus so that he can begin a relationship with them. Parables are, they're, they're excellent tools for teaching But Jesus' parables, they're on a whole nother level. And and so to answer this this lesson's title, what are parables? Parables are short fictional stories that are relatable to its audience. And their purpose is to communicate a specific thought. Parables, they they were used in both the Old and the New Testaments for all kinds of situations. But Jesus... (laughs) He took them and refashioned them into a system of meditation. Jesus' parables, they're meant to cause deep contemplation. So for us, let's have eyes to see and ears to hear his teachings. Hey, thank you for joining me again today. Parables are a special topic for us here at Parable Ministries. (laughs) Not only because we're we're named after them, but they represent our motivation for teaching. Just as Jesus used parables to teach about the good news of God's kingdom, we as a ministry want to promote that. We want to offer biblical teaching, biblical counseling, and encouragement to those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. We, We want to be a resource for those who are interested in the Bible, and in the life of Jesus Christ. So next week, we'll be continuing our intro series with a look at worldviews and what it means to have a biblical worldview. So be sure to join us next week. And if you haven't yet, you can subscribe to our podcast and that way you you won't miss out on it. But thanks for listening. And I hope you have a great day.